You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode number six. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. What's up, everybody? Sorry about the delay, but welcome back to the Passionate DJ Podcast for episode number six. Got a little tied up during the holidays and with some other awesome things happening with the blog, but I'm sure you'll forgive me because we have an awesome interview today with Vect. That's V-E-K-K-E-D. He's a DMC and IDA World Turntablist Champion, and he has a lot of great insight to share with us. So let's get right to it. What's up, passionate DJs? I'm absolutely elated to introduce my guest today, champion turntablist Vect. And let me tell you, he is on fire. A fellow passionate DJ and a killer turntablist, Vect is the first and only DJ to win both DMC and IDA world titles in the same year. Not only that, he's the first and only Canadian to win DMC World Supremacy and three consecutive DMC national titles. He's the first and only North American to win an IDA world title. He's the first DJ since 2005 to win multiple world titles in the same year. He's a four-time Canadian champion and the first Canadian IDA champion. In fact, Vect has won eight major championship titles since 2011. Wow, talk about somebody who's making moves. I ran into him onto some online forums where he was answering some questions regarding scratching and competitions, which led me to his YouTube channel. Let me just say that you owe it to yourself to check out his videos, which I'll be sure and link to in the show notes. They're so fun to watch. The cutting, scratching, and juggling is done with such precision, but not only that, you can really tell that he loves what he's doing. His facial expressions, body language, choice of music, samples, they all make a whole package that is just a really fun set of videos to watch. Uh, when I saw them, I just knew I had to have them on the show. So, Vect, welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. It's good to finally talk to you in person. Thank you very much, sir, and thank you for that, that lovely intro. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get started in this whole DJing thing? I started, I guess, like, the the start of my kind of music endeavors was uh, when I was about 12. I got into music production. I don't really completely know how it all happened. It was kind of like a, like a coincidence. Like, I started getting into, like, electronic music when, like, nobody in like that was my age really was listening into, to it, but me and my friend got into it. And then uh, my friend's dad got him this computer program where you could make beats out of, like, it came with a thousand loops or something, and you can, like, arrange them however you wanted and make, make beats with them. And so we started, like, getting into making uh, house and, like, uh, techno music and stuff together. When I when I hit high school, I like I I got deeper into production and and was using like more real programs like Acid and Fruity Loops and stuff. And then in high school, I started I I learned about hip hop. Like before that, I didn't really like I'm I'm kind of from rural area and there's like not really hip hop at all there. But when I hit high school, like I started learning about it a little bit and then. I learned, like, the DJ was, like, the core kind of, like, musical element of hip-hop. Like, since I was already into, like, making music, I started, instead of making, like, four-on-the-floor type stuff, I started making more, like, hip-hop and, and breaks type stuff. And then 
uh, one day I downloaded like a video of like I searched like hip hop DJ or something like that, and I saw uh, Qbert and Mixmaster Mike scratching, and that's nice. like that's the first time I'd I'd ever seen scratching. Like before, like I didn't even have a concept of how scratching was done. Like I heard songs with it, um, like Kid Koala and stuff, but I didn't actually know how it was done. But then when I seen the video, I saw it, and that that kind of like solidified my choice to learn how to scratch because. Yeah, when I saw them, it's just is over. The uh, is it fair to say that hip hop led you into DJing, or were you were you always as far as DJing goes, were you always uh, a hip hop guy, or did you ever explore other avenues with that? Well, hip hip hop definitely led me from from being a producer to a DJ. I think before I learned about hip hop, I didn't really know what DJing was or like understand it completely. I've always been kind of like uh, rooted in hip hop. Like my my DJing style is is definitely like all of my idols and stuff, and the people I learn from are all like hip hop based. But a lot of the music I use, like for routines and stuff, isn't really hip hop. Like it, it's it's kind of related to hip hop, but like I, I use funk, I use rock, I use um, salsa, I use like pop songs, like. Like, uh, I had a drum and bass routine this year. I, I try not to really, um, restrict myself to, to just using hip hop. And like, I, like to me, there's a difference between a DJ who plays hip hop and a hip hop DJ. Like, I, I think you can still be like a hip hop DJ and still like with, without actually playing hip hop. Like, it's kind of like being a hip hop DJ is more about the skill set and the knowledge of where you got your knowledge of DJing and stuff. If you know your hip hop history, like, Hip hop wasn't created from people who played hip hop. It, like hip hop was basically is is basically like what open format DJing is now. Like people who just played everything, but is the the way that they played it that made it hip hop, I guess. I really appreciate that you brought that up because um actually probably a week or two ago, um I made a post that kind of covered this and I'll link to it in the show notes and it was titled How to Have a Sound and Not a Genre. And it kind of goes along with what you're talking about here, where your whole approach and your style and your attitude is is all very hip hop. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you have to pigeonhole yourself into that specific genre. That's the mark of a good DJ is that you don't limit yourself, even if you're going for a specific kind of sound. Yeah, like I feel like, well, for myself at least, and I feel like for most people, like they listen to other music. You know, like they they don't just listen to one genre of music, so I think it's kind of weird when you're DJing to limit yourself to one genre of music, and I think that's like what holds some DJs back, like on overall DJing level. Like the the big picture is that you can DJ with any form of music. Like it doesn't even just have to be dance music or or anything. Like you can be a a DJ with like classical music or something like that. But people just they don't do it because it's not really something people have done and people kind of look to what other people are doing and copy people and stuff, I guess. Agree a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's funny because I think people, uh, especially younger DJs, they get caught up in this idea that they, they want to develop their own sound, which is understandable. But <laughs> the way they go about that is by limiting themselves to specific styles of music. And yeah. I, th- I think that approach is backwards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like with DJing, it's 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 both what you play and how you play it. Like there's the two 
both of those things kind of contribute to your overall sound. So I think like both are pretty important, but definitely like nowadays it seems like people focus a lot more on what they play than how they play it. So as far as um, when you were coming up in the world of DJing, did you have any big inspirations or influences or even heroes or did you kind of forge your own path and discover those later? No, I definitely had heroes like, because I learned about like Hubert right from the beginning. So, and he's, generally regarded as like the the best scratcher from what he's done for scratching like it puts him on this like pedestal so i got to start from like learning about like the king of it basically him and mixmaster mike were like my earliest influences and then like a track and craze i got into later and then when i started getting into uh like beat juggling and, and not just scratching the executioners and the beat junkies were like huge influences on me more recently, like Precision and Shifty are are a couple guys I look up to a lot in in this scene. I didn't really like like both those guys. Like I didn't start watching until like maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or something like that. Like when Shifty started winning stuff and and Precision won the U.S. DMC on on a Canadian level. Like uh, guys that I know like more personally, DJ Brace, uh, Shub, Wondercut, Dopey, Turnstiles. Like they're all basically like previous Canadian champions and stuff like that. Awesome. So how often would you say that you, you know, now that, I mean, you're a world champion several times over, now that you've you've met a few of those goals, what's your practice routine like nowadays? I mean, how, how mm. often do you just stand behind the decks solely for the purpose of learning or polishing your technique? I would say the majority of my time is spent learning and polishing techniques still. Once I won like a world title, it didn't really make me let up and and think that I was technical enough and I was clean enough and stuff. Like it kind of brought on its own pressures. Like when I'm performing and stuff, like there's expectations of world champ that weren't there when I was like just some local DJ, right? So uh, you set the bar high. <laughs> yeah. So before it was like nobody knew me, knew me, and then I can. Like, usually people would be surprised, like, when they saw me because they didn't expect anything. But now it's, like, even if they don't know me and then, like, I'm introduced as as a world champion or something, then I have to, like, live up to those standards and also, like, um, the standards of, of previous world champions. And Yeah, I still feel like I have so much ground to cover, like, as far as practicing. And so I still spend, like, I don't know, hours and hours a day, like, usually probably around five hours a day practicing, like, and mostly doing techniques and stuff. Wow, okay. So, cool. So, most recently, you were named the 2013 IDA champion. And, in mm -hmm. fact, we had to delay this interview because you were busy crushing it. So, uh, can you tell us a, a little bit about this competition and the approach that you took to your routine that, that won you the title? Well, IDA is um, the actual competition. It, it, it developed out of a, a previous competition that's called ITF. There was always like DMC and ITF were the two major world competitions. Pretty much like all the the really well known DJs like like A Track and and Craze and uh, Rafik and stuff like the well known battle DJs. Um, they had titles in in both both organizations and um, IDA has it, it developed out of ITF and it's basically. Like it's still like a turntablist battle, but it's got a lot different format, like than than DMC. DMC is just like your, uh, it's you have um one round of six minutes basically. You just go up there and do six minutes. Everybody goes up once and they pick the winner out of 
each like single performance. Whereas IDA, like, there, well, there's the show category, which is the same format with having one round and just being a showcase type battle. But the the rules in the show category, like, you can use any equipment, so it's more of a fusion between controllerist and turntablist. Oh, than, okay. But then there's the technical category, which is is more pure turntablism. It starts out with uh, one round of three minutes, and then uh, there's about six, like sixteen national champions, and then they um, they pick four. The top four go on to the semifinals, and then it turns into a one-on-one. And so then there's uh, semifinals is two rounds of two minutes, and the finals is two rounds of two minutes uh, per DJ. Yeah, so it's a it's a fusion of a showcase battle and a head-to-head battle. So it's like you have to prepare for two different formats. And IDA is like the technical category is, is also the uh, longest turntablist battle. Like you need 11 minutes of material compared to six minutes for DMC. Oh, wow. Um, so it's almost like two years of DMC routines. And I would guess that most people who battle in IDA they they use uh, a collection of routines from the past like two or three years like not all of their material is made that year because it just takes too long to make material that is world class basically like that you're going to be happy with competing on a world level so in a in a year like I would guess that nobody at the world level um, who's like competitive at least like who's who's actually has a sh- shot at winning um, makes more than 15 minutes of material probably. It'd be crazy if somebody made more than that. I, I can't see most people making that much material. But anyways, like since I won it last year, I had no choice but to use only material from this year because I used all my previous material last year. When I was going in to defend this title, like I was probably the least prepared that I've ever been for a battle. About a month before the battle, like there's still I think two rounds that I was uh, that I wasn't finished yet for the head-to-head stuff. And um, generally, like a month before a battle, like everything is exactly how I'm going to perform it. Perform it, and I just do like reps over and over of that material. So I really, really hate like having to change stuff and having to even create new stuff in in the month leading up to a battle because it's just like a recipe for disaster. Because if I don't have it memorized super, super well, then there's a good chance I'm gonna. I'll choke or like I'll I'll forget something or when you're in front of a crowd and you're nervous and and the uh, situation is is completely different from being at home like there's so much that can go wrong I wasn't very prepared for it but I ended up like pulling it together and I think I got everything finished like two full weeks ahead then like when it came to practicing it I put like all my effort into practicing the finals routines because those would be like the deciding routines like the for winning the battle. I didn't put as much practice into my elimination routine and it almost like cost me the whole battle because I ended up getting fourth after the eliminations and only four people go through. So and I think I only got like I was only like two points out of a hundred or something ahead of the fifth place guy. So like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I almost went from like defending or from winning the title to not even making the final, which would have been pretty bad. But the finals wasn't, I wasn't quite as clean, but um, the other person who made the finals didn't have a full 11 minutes of material. So they um, actually had to repeat their semifinals rounds for their finals. And 
it's almost like an automatic loss in a way. If the other person is really bad, then you won't lose. But if there's two people who are close and one person is using brand new material and the other person just did that set like 15 minutes ago, they're not really going to win. Okay, so I think that uh, our, all our passionate DJs out there would like to hear the uh, the routine that you performed. Now, is this the, this is the winning routine? Is that correct? Yeah, this is well. There's two rounds um, for the finals, and like for me, I, I usually split it up with um, one round of beat juggling, one round of scratching. Like some people mix it like all together, but I usually make my scratch routines and beat juggles separately. But um, this is my scratch round. Okay, great. Let's give it a listen. Super cool. So one thing that um, I, I really like about that routine, you know, you kind of go back and forth uh, between a kind of a halftime and a, you know, like a double time tempo. Yeah. And the the part that is actually pretty close to the beginning where you're you, you double the tempo, but you're doing it straight just with the turntables hands on. Like it's not like you played a song that was twice as fast. You're actually doubling the tempo by just playing the turntables like an instrument. I think that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So let's, if if uh, we can, I'd like to kind of move into more of the psychology of mm-hmm. scratching. I mean, obviously you focus on. It seems that you focus on the skillful uh, exhibitionist style of DJing, where the yeah. point is to use your turntables, you know, like instruments, and you're creating a performance on the fly. How does the mindset of that type of exhibitionist DJ differ from the mindset of, say, a club or mobile DJ? For turntablists and DJs as a whole, there's, there's like, a lot of overlap, and it, it kind of just, it kind of depends on the individual DJ or turntablist, but in general, the the mindset of, like, a turntablist is more an artist or a musician's mindset, where the mindset of 
uh, of a DJ is more of an entertainer's mindset. Being a turntablist is more of like an individual thing. Like you do it kind of for yourself. It's more of like a, a soul searching type endeavor. Whereas being a, a, a DJ, um, pretty difficult in, in a lot of contexts to really be a DJ without caring what other people think. Like that's almost part of your job for a lot of DJs. If, if they, if they woke up tomorrow, and went out and there's nobody around and like no one else existed like they just disappeared like that they wouldn't dj anymore because there's kind of no purpose anymore for them like because it's they they do it to make people dance and have a good time whereas i think like turntablists in in the same kind of scenario i think a lot of them would would still do what they do because it's not really dependent on other people and a lot of what we do, like we, we do it just for ourselves and we do it by ourselves, like not really caring too much about whether people like it. Like it's more of a bonus if, if people like it and if we get, uh, uh like outlets to do it and stuff. I, I can relate to that. I mean, uh, you know, personally, I'm more of the, the club or lounge type of DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that there are times that, um, you know, I've got my, my decks set up out in the garage and sometimes I go out there and, and play just to decompress and that's kind of yeah. my, my personal therapy. But yeah. I, I do agree, you know, a big part of, you know, in a, in a club or bar or lounge type DJ, a lot of part, a big part of that is keep, you know, keeping a dance floor moving at a steady pace, yeah. choosing the right tunes and the ebb and flow thing. Yeah. Do those same kind of concepts apply at all to a scratch routine or is it pretty much all about just straight up performing it definitely like it in in a competition uh context a lot of that the same stuff is important but in in different ways and it, it's kind of weighted like the value is is weighted differently than it would be in like a club setting the song selection is important both as a dj and as like a turntablist or like a battle dj but in like dmc or ida style competitions it's really really frowned upon like if you choose something obvious or something that other people use like if five people use the same song or something like it's really bad whereas like when you're djing like playing like the the right songs is kind of like trying to play stuff that people do want and do expect whereas like when you're making a routine it's like the the right music is is kind of a combination of choosing stuff that's accessible but also very original and kind of like balancing that out so like you don't want to pick something that is like the most accessible song might be something that's just like super obvious like the biggest song that's out but you don't want to pick that because it's too obvious i guess so it's kind of like um a balance your set definitely has to flow in like a in a competition as well one of my favorite dmc sets is is a dj crazes 2000 winning set and like he has like every uh routine he goes into like he transitions out of the previous record into the next one and he does it in like really like creative ways like not just like beat matching but he does it like beat juggles like from out of one record into the next kind of thing and just like finds ways to uh pull everything together really smoothly like even though he's using vastly different BPMs and genres whereas like when you're when you're DJing like transitions are pretty much everything and then like tricks and scratching would be your bonus in like a competition it's kind of the opposite like transitions are kind of a bonus like you can still have a really great set with without 
really having any meaningful transitions. Like just kind of like you can't train wreck stuff, but you can if you just slam on the next song at a good point, people are gonna be fine with it. They like both DJing and, and turn tourism share like a similar elements, but they reflect it in different ways. Because like when you're DJing like you're not on a time limit. Whereas when you're competing, you're always working against the clock. So you've got to cut things out and you've got to make uh, adjustments based on having to fit within the time limits. And you've got to make choices like, are people going to be more impressed if I do this 20 second blend transition? Or are they going to be more impressed if I do 20 seconds more of scratching or something like that? Oh, so is it pretty common for you to have to modify your routine because uh, the timing was off? Yeah, when it, when it, when I'm making routines, like I try to avoid timing them or worrying about time and just trying to make best routine that I can because I, I don't want really like time to affect like how I'm composing my routine and I don't want to be subconsciously cutting corners and stuff because I feel like I have to fit into the time. But when it gets closer to a competition, that's when, like, I'll have my routines that are pretty much finished, and then I'll start taking stuff out and adding it and changing stuff in order to fit it into, like, 90 seconds or whatever the time limit might be for for that specific battle. So that's interesting. I never even really considered that aspect of it. You might think of it as, uh, you know, say you're having a, I'll say, freestyle battle, but I'm talking about, like, a hip-hop rapping freestyle yeah, battle yeah. and you know you've got a time limit and and you're like oh i've got this amazing punchline, but i'm going to save it for the end and if, yeah. you, if that gets cut off then that could mean the difference between winning or losing or impressing or not i, I think people underestimate the impact that a time limit has on a competition like time limits affect everything like it's got to be so much pressure well, well, pe- people like they like you, you hear people say stuff like DMC like says it's a DJ battle, but people don't mix. Like, why is it all scratching and stuff? And um, it, like, if you actually like go back and like historically, like you watch everything, it just kind of makes sense. Like when you only have six minutes, how much mixing can you fit into six minutes? Really, like you're not going to be able to mixing becomes more impressive the longer that you have to do it and the longer like that you have to set up stuff and build things and that but when it's like really short like there's not really time to do that in the 80s like when Jazzy Jeff is battling like if you go back and and listen to when Jazzy Jeff won the new music seminar in in 1986 I think the rounds were 30 seconds long oh, wow. so you had 30 seconds to do what you did. And that's how, before DMC, like, the battles were 30 seconds to a minute rounds. And, like, I don't know, for some reason, like, some people think, like, have some concept in their head that the DJ battles used to be about mixing. But if you look at how the formats were, like, it was never, like, the, the formats weren't very friendly for mixing. So I've got to uh, take a moment here and take advantage of the situation because I've got a world champion at my disposal I've got his attention right now, yep. so if you don't mind to indulge me, I've got a question for you, because sure. um, I'm obviously no expert at scratching and turntablism. That's kind of my next step in my journey. So I wanted to know, if, if I can give you a little history, I actually, when I was younger, I took piano lessons for about 10 years, okay. and there's it was really weird because I have a really good ear, I have a really good touch, 
and mm-hmm. I can improv, but I could never read music fast enough to make it useful. So right. it kind of led me into improv, which led me into producing, which led me into DJing. That's kind of right. the, the long and short of my journey. So yeah. one thing that I noticed as it relates to my piano improv, it, it kind of is the same thing as I'm trying to learn to scratch. Um, it seems like things kind of start to click for me after I kind of enter a zone however you want to describe that i mean it's when i if i go out to my to my decks right now i might screw around for 30 minutes and just be like man this sounds terrible and then yeah. there's this moment of me letting go to where suddenly i bust out something amazing and it's like I, just before the point of giving up where i don't care anymore yeah it's like like letting go and things just start happening without my direct control and mm-hmm. so my and that's kind of the same thing that happens with my piano playing as well I'm yeah. wondering if is that a good approach or is a dangerous one because I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. It, it, there's there's different um, there's different times where I think that's beneficial or not beneficial in in regards to like turntablism. Like <clears throat> when when it comes to like performance time and in a battle, I think like improvising is uh, is pretty dangerous because. It, it, it's really hard, like, unless you have tons of experience, it's really hard to improvise at a high level in, like, a situation where you're on a setup you're not familiar with in front of, like, a crowd and, like, all of the, the factors that make the competition stressful. So it makes way more sense to just have it all composed down to the note and then just kind of only improvise if something goes wrong and you have to... <laughs> but, like... There's other times where it's definitely, like, hugely beneficial. Like, when I'm making routines, a lot of that's improvising, and I just, like, I just play with stuff, and then I listen to it, like, while I'm doing it, and then I, I just, like, pick out the stuff that sound, sounds the best, and I kind of start developing that into a full routine. There's definitely times where I get into, like, a zone where I just seem to be creating so much good material, like, that I am that I can use, and then it'll go, like, two or three weeks where everything I do is just, like, like, I'm not going to use any of it, and then it just, like, there will be, like, one night where I am just kind of, like, focused and I'll, I'll make um, more stuff than I have in the past, like, month or something. There's different types of turntablists and like there's battle DJs like me who mostly like compose routines and stuff but then there's also like uh there's solo scratchers who are basically just like they spend all their time like improvising and they like they can put on a beat and just scratch forever and like I'm I'm a solo scratcher too but I'm not as good as I am as a battle DJ when like for solo scratching i think like it's it's like that's probably where it's most beneficial because as like a musician like to to improvise your best it kind of requires like uh you getting past the point where you're thinking about everything uh from a technique standpoint you just kind of have to let it come out of you i guess and good improvisation requires being like really free or as close to you as close as you can be to being like actually like free and letting your yourself just like express yourself through your instrument uh like that's the point where i'm at like there's definitely times where i i'm in the zone and really like being free and not thinking about it but then there's other times when um i still like i can't 
get into that zone because it's not something you can force yourself to do. You can't just like make yourself get in the zone. It just kind of comes. And I think the, the more that you practice and the more you get used to getting into that mindset, like maybe it becomes a little bit easier. But you can't just snap your fingers and be like, okay, time to zone out. Go. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I wish it was like that because it would make making routines so much easier. Since you can never predict when you're going to have those like creative bursts, the more that you practice, the more likely that you're going to be at your turntables when that time comes and when, you know, when you're going to have a chance to to make some routines and stuff. So I'm going to take a whack at breaking that down into a single sentence. Do you think it'd be fair to say that for practicing, creating, designing, um, it's good to be in that zone and let yourself kind of let go and be free, but when it's time to perform or compete, you need that laser focus? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Competition time, there's not really room for improvising, like, unless, uh, there's probably, like, in theory, you could get to that level, but I think it's really hard, because realistically, like, as a, as a person, like, you get nervous, and you get, you make mistakes, and you make less mistakes when you're prepared and not really doing it on the fly, I guess. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, and I'd like to talk about the relevance of turntablism in the modern world. Obviously, you know, things are a little bit different from its heyday or origins or whatever you want to call it. How how would you say that scratching and turntablism is different today than it was, um, whether you want to relate that to competition or just um, general yeah. approach? Hey, competitions are kind of in, like, a bit of like the dark ages right now in some ways people have become really focused on production and making routines that sonically sound really clean and like the end result is really a lot nicer like musically and stuff but as far as like actual turntablism skills like the routines are kind of they're not as interesting because they're so focused on like it's a lot of like simple stuff but really edited to make it sound a lot smoother and less like rough around the edges. But it's kind of like some some parts of of some of the winning routines lately. Uh, it's hard to tell whether like how much they're doing live and how much like it seems like they're miming at certain points because uh, it's just so heavily edited that you might as well just play a song at a certain point. Like you like some some people I can't even hear the scratching or the beat juggling like it doesn't sound beat juggled or scratched it just sounds like a song playing you know like if somebody enters a guitar solo competition and like you can't even hear them soloing like it doesn't even sound like they're playing guitar like that's not a good thing right so is that um, that kind of laser sharp uh, but dehumanized kind of approach is that a result of technology or is that just uh, natural evolution of the craft It's both, like, technology definitely made it a lot easier to edit stuff, because before, like, you pretty much had to use original vinyl songs, but now people can make their own stuff and make all this custom music and custom edits, so that definitely helped, but it was happening before, like, Serato was in competitions, like, it happened when when people were still... Uh, using vinyl. There's a lot of reasons for it happening. I think, like, a lot of it is people, like, just don't want to practice as hard and they don't want to become as good of turntablists. So they edit their routines 
because it's easier to do a routine that is is mapped out like that and really like smoothly put together and also like a lot of people like they just compete purely because they want to win for me like the like winning is is sweet but the actual like point of competition is is to contribute to the art form but a lot of guys i think they just enter and they just want to win and if you make routines that are really hard to to screw up and they sound refined there's a lot of benefits to it like the crowd who is who aren't DJs are going to be on your side compared to somebody who might sound a bit rougher but they're doing more creative and more original like techniques and stuff it's so. interesting that you bring that you say that because I think that's that's almost universal across the the DJ board in general those those kind of barriers of entry um, yeah. have been lowered because of technology. It's kind of hard to impress the lay person, if, if I can use that term, because <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we can uh, kind of talk about the competition strategy a little bit, just in case there's anybody out there that's interested in, in competing on any kind of level or even just just performing, but especially in a competition, what what would you say that the biggest mistake that DJs make is when they're entering a competition? Uh, Under-preparing is the biggest mistake, for sure. You can never really prepare enough, and until, until you've entered a competition where you were prepared enough, like, you don't really know how much you need to prepare, so, like, definitely err on the side of over-preparing. I love that. You guys heard it straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> quit being lazy. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, like, I think five that, hours a day, am I right? Is that what you said? That yeah, you hopefully. Yeah, usually I try and get five hours a day. Like, not every single day, but at least, like, five days a week or something. So I think I'll just a lot of people just don't feel they, they have time for that, but they still want the the benefits or the glory that comes from somebody who does put in that kind of work. Yeah, no, yeah, it doesn't. To a certain level, like, say you want to be, like, the best in your region or win, like, a regional competition, like, maybe you can achieve that by practicing, like, an hour a night or something, and then to be national, like, you'd have to be, like, three hours, but, like, when, like, I'm trying to beat, like, every single person in the world who's entering the competition, and it's, like, I just have to practice that much, like, and maybe, like, sometimes I, I feel like I'm not even practicing enough, like, I just have to practice more but yeah the the other thing like i would say that is pretty relevant for competitions especially like basically like in in dmc like there's so much history of it and so much stuff to reference that people know kind of how to make routines because there's so many examples of of great dmc routines but the three cell format is so new that there's only like a handful of actually great routines like maybe less than three or something that are like really like well done from start to finish people don't realize like when you when you enter like a three style routine like you you don't go up there and just mix for 15 minutes and like like just like kind of improvise it like it shouldn't just be like a random extract of of what you would be doing on a normal club night like the like a routine should be basically like a photograph of the best the absolute best stuff that you could put together way way better than anything you could you could do in an actual club night if your if your routine is not as good as 
the stuff you do when you're DJing regularly, like then it's just not nearly as good as you can make it. Do you have like one killer mind blowing secret weapon tip that DJs are interested in competing can take home? There's nothing really magical about competitions, but whoever practices the most wins. That's the secret to competitions. Uh, sometimes like it, it takes a while because if one person's only been doing it for a couple of years and someone's been doing it 10 years, you have a lot of ground to make up. But in the end, like that's generally like there's a pretty strong correlation between how much someone practices and how well they do in competitions. And that's awesome. I mean, it, I love that you said that. It's so many people just they want to jump straight to the top. And it, what it really boils down to is you've got to put the work in. You've got to put the time in. You've got to practice. And just get it done. There's there's no substitute for it. Yeah, exactly. The like the edge you get over other people like through practicing like technical skills is a lot more um, concrete than it is over things like learning your software or effects and stuff. Like that that stuff is definitely like important. But say like to learn how to like scratch at a decent level, it takes like three years or something like that and to learn like how to use serato at its to its full potential might take like a couple months or something right and then like and serato is not something that's like it's gonna it's gonna change and be upgraded and software and technology changes and can really quickly uh make your skills with that software like redundant or something yeah i think like learning actual technical skills um whether it's scratching or trick mixing or um, just like having control over your equipment and movements in general is like a lot more solid if you're trying to set yourself apart from other people. Okay, awesome. And we've got uh, one more sound clip. Is there? A, um, it's called "You Are Whack." Is there any story <laughs> behind this? My it's it's the winning like uh, IDA routine, but also like that routine basically like. Oh, it won me my DMC Supremacy World title. Like, basically everything in 2012, that was, like, the main routine that won me stuff. Like, it's just, it's the routine that I'm most known for. Awesome. Can't wait to give it a listen. Let's see Yo, what it sounds like. Have I ever told you how whack I think you are? <laughs> Do I have to tell you that you're whack, whack, Here's a brief example of a complicated cut.
God, I love that routine. Um, I was actually watching the. I didn't realize which one this was. I was watching this on your YouTube channel, I believe. Yeah. And uh, I was I was hanging out with my girlfriend. We were in the basement, and I watched it. And I just I stopped it in the middle. And I said, "You need to watch this." And we both just sat and watched it like with our jaws open. Like that was so fun. It got us both so pumped up. And uh, I, I think just you know not only the just it's with it starting out with the uh, uh, the vocals and then you just break into the the ah cuts. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so laser sharp and it's just so fun to watch and listen to so um all right so i guess we can wrap it up here uh, i've got a couple more quick questions for you um wondering what projects you have in the works right now in other words what's going to keep you busy in 2014 um my big one uh is turntablesworld.com that's um my new website for turntables um and yeah i'm just like trying to build that in general and just make it because like there hasn't really been a website specifically for turntablists in quite a while now. So I just, yeah, I made that website. It has like a, a live uh, scratch room. You can go on there and watch people scratch or scratch with other people like on uh with webcams. There's been, I think like there's a lot of people that go in, like usually people scratch on there from like eight to 12 hours a day. And we've had, like at least four different world champions go in there and like other guys who are like world class for sure who just go in there and scratch. And it's like, it's pretty like beginner friendly too. Like there's some people are just starting out. Some people have been doing it for 20 years. So that's so cool. And passionate DJs can go to uh, passionatedjcom slash vect. That's V E K K E D. And you can find this and every other resource that we've talked about in the interview today. Now, besides you, who else would you say is crushing it in the world of turntablism? My my buddy uh, John First, he had like a really breakout year in 2013. Like, yeah, um, he'd been battling for like a few years, and for some reason, like this still kind of that I don't really understand. People didn't really like pay attention to him. Like, he didn't place at any nationals. He he made a couple like uh, DMC online world finals, but wasn't getting like he his his videos got like 10,000 views or something like that this year like he entered DMC online he'd already just entered the UK finals a few weeks before and like didn't place and then he used the same routine for DMC online and like people just went nuts over it like DJ craze and like uh melody and like beat junkies and stuff were sharing his video it's got 200,000 views uh he he beat me in DMC online like I got second and he got first um, so yeah, like I, he, he basically, he finally got like some of the respect he deserved. And that's like a really, like, I recommend like every DJ needs to go and watch his DMC online 2013 routine because it's, is definitely like the best competition set of last year, like of any DJ. He's one of the first DJs who actually used technology to his advantage in a competition and like really, really fused traditional skills with new technology to do stuff that you couldn't do before. Whereas most people up to this point have kind of um, just been doing the same old stuff, but using Serato like to use different music or like their own custom stuff, but not really using like the functions, like the looping and the rules and uh, the like cue points and stuff. But he finally did that. So check him out. Um, awesome. That's a big uh, endorsement. 
Yeah. He's a great, like, club DJ too. Like, he's, uh, he actually considers himself a club DJ first and turntable second too. So he's like, yeah, just kind of like the total package of a DJ. Um, Richie Ruftone, he's another guy who's, who's killing it right now. Like, me and him, he's like my arch nemesis kind of in battle. Uh, <laughs> me and him, like, I've got first, second, third, like, with m- either him or me, like, ahead of each other so many times in the past couple of years. And he's just, like, a yeah, good scratcher, good battle DJ. So he's he's been, yeah, he had a good, he, he got second in DMC World, first in DMC Supremacy ahead of me, third, uh, third in DMC Online to me and John first. So it was, like, yeah, us, us three were, like, all, like, first, second, third, and in pretty much all the DMC categories this year. Now, I'm a huge hip-hop fan, so I'm dying to know, do you have a favorite hip-hop record or artist? Um, artist? Uh, well, I like Public Enemy a lot. Oh, like, nice. They're, uh, Good uh, answer. <laughs> something like their production and, and their content and everything, like they're just like one of the perfect hip-hop groups but uh for an actual record like lately like and well for a long time but it's just a a song that's just been relevant to me for like i don't get bored of it is uh 33 and a third percent god by beastie boys do you are you familiar with that one i don't think i'm familiar with that particular song now it's it's uh it's basically it's all instrumental like um with only a couple like samples of their their lyrics like throughout but it's um it's basically a mashup of a few different songs off of their Paul's Boutique album. And it just like changes into the next song, like after eight bars or something like that. And yeah, it's just like a cool, um, instrumental hip hop track. Awesome. Is that, that's on the Paul's Boutique record? No, it's on a, um, just a second. It's, um, the, American Love American Style EP. It was released, um, I think, just before Paul's Boutique or just after. Like around, it's the same era. Um, but it, that that song didn't actually make it to the album. But I, it's like one of my favorite songs by them, awesome. even though it's instrumental, which is kind of weird because they're rappers, but they make great beats too. So that's cool. I'll definitely look that up and link to it. Yeah. What about a full album? A full album? Um, Let's see. Well, Paul's Boutique is is really up there. Um, I also like Public Enemy's um, Apocalypse 91. Okay. Yeah, I don't like. I just really like like the production style and stuff that they had there. Like before that, like it was a little bit more simple and, and raw. Um, and then like, because like in the early nineties, like sampling started getting and technology for sampling started getting better. So like the, that album had like so many samples in their production. Um, and it was like just before uh record labels started cracking down on copyright infringement. So, you know, like, I feel like hip hop production just took like a really big hit and hip hop, like just music in general after like copyright laws started getting enforced because before that it was like a free for all. You can sample whatever and like they would just try and make the best beat, but then it became let's try and make the best beat that won't get us sued. Right. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. so glad that you, that you mentioned public enemy because uh, I've got to say even even now, they're just amazing performers. I saw them in Detroit last year. Oh, really? And yeah, I mean, they just crushed it. 
Um, and they had a Ice T came out as a surprise guest, which was also pretty uh, awesome. So, uh, where can uh, listeners of the Passionate DJ podcast get in touch with you? The best place is well, Twitter at Vect um, is like the the best place usually, and then uh, Facebook slash uh, DJ Vect and um, Vect on YouTube. Those are like my three main social media outlets. YouTube's good, like for my material. Like I'm gonna, like that's one of the other things this year. I'm gonna um, hopefully put up tons of videos. I want to start doing tutorials, and tutorials geared towards like beginners, like and controller DJs, like trying to get some controllers that I can teach people to scratch on them, because I feel like uh, a lot of the older DJs like hate on controllers and don't teach people how to scratch on them because they want people to use turntables, but like in 2014, it kind of makes no sense to start on anything but a MIDI controller when it's like a few hundred dollars and has like so many features and potential. Long past, long past time to stop hate uh, controller shaming DJs. I think. Yeah, it's just like yeah, I don't know. Like it, it's kind of like a selective memory. Like DJs, a lot of the older DJs forget. Like most people didn't start on like Technics twelve hundreds. They started on like a DJ Gemini DJ in a box, like which was like just terrible. Like you can <laughs> you couldn't learn anything on a DJ in a box. And now at least like with like a VCI or something like you can learn a lot of stuff. You can learn probably to scratch at a pretty high level. Like before, even, even if you were planning on moving to turntables eventually, like that'd be like a great spot to start. But like for some reason, like it, it seems like they would rather people start on a DJ in a box than a controller just because like they're so diehard for turntables. It doesn't even matter if it's a good turntable, but even low torque belt drive crap turntables. <laughs> those are terrible. Like nobody wants to start on those. Like there's no sense. Yeah. Vect, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, sir. So there you have it, guys. Uh, super nice guy, great turntablist, and somebody who's playing to win. It was awesome to have his insight into the competition world. And uh, just out of curiosity, I wanted to ask you guys, since this is the first podcast of 2014, uh, what your guys' New Year's resolutions are. Personally, I started a resolution to complete two tracks per month as, as in production, so I'm trying to uh, get back on my production game. What's yours? Would love to know. Post it in the comments below or shoot me an email at david at passionatedj.com. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ With Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.